There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just... Once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive that sets the pace and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that throws you one moment and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello, media consumers. Welcome to the Press Box. Brian Curtis of The Ringer here, along with producer Erica Cervantes. To introduce the second installment of our One Perfect Story series, let me take you back a decade or more. Back then, there were a lot of us sports writers who used to go to bars. We would have a few drinks. And then one of us would say, you know, somebody should write the great magazine story about what Michael Jordan's life is like now. Somebody should write how Jordan the basketball player is living uncomfortably inside the body of Jordan, the middle-aged man. And then, high on reading Richard Ben Kramer on Ted Williams for the 18th time, we look around the bar and think, am I going to write that piece? Are you? Well, 10 years ago this month, that piece landed on the internet. It was on ESPN's website, and its title was Michael Jordan Has Not Left the Building. It was written by Wright Thompson. Reading that piece in 2013 was like driving a fast car and discovering it has two or three additional gears. By spending a couple of days around Jordan, Thompson had found this nostalgic, almost wistful side to MJ. He also found this smoldering competitive rage. Jordan, as Thompson looked on, watched TV and picked apart LeBron James's game. As Jordan told him, I would give up everything now to go back and play the game of basketball. Now, as I always say on One Perfect Story, this is where you're supposed to hit pause and read or reread Michael Jordan Has Not Left the Building over on ESPN. Then come back here and learn how a great magazine story came together. Here's Wright Thompson on writing about Michael Jordan. Okay, Wright, when did a Michael Jordan profile first appear on the list of stories you wanted to write? I mean, I think he was probably 47 or 48. I mean, I claimed that one early. Uh, as you know, at ESPN, sometimes it's like the hardest thing to do is to not get stepped on by your own people. So, like, 
uh, the uh, I traffic cop that one early, but I was just fascinated by what do you do when you used to be Michael Jordan? How do you put in a claim at ESPN? Uh, I think I. I think I got there first. It was like, Hey, I'm, you know, I really, I'm going to make a run at this. And, uh, I don't know. They cleared the runway, which I'm very grateful for. That is 100% Mr. Rob King. Among sports writers, there's always a list of really big unwritten profiles. And tell me if I'm remembering this right. The list a decade and change ago was what MJ's life is like, what Tiger Woods, life is really like, which you took care of a few years later. And what Phil Mickelson's life was really like? Is that about it? Well, I mean, I would argue that Phil Mickelson is not is not the same as as Jordan or Tiger. But I mean, you know, I I, I want to know what Barry Bonds' life is like. I mean, there are a few still hanging out there, but like you know, if Jordan was the white whale to end all white whales. So the first hurdle is getting to Jordan. I read you wrote letters to his people trying to get an interview. What did the letters say? Well, I wrote a letter after I read a New Yorker story on Paul McCartney. The headline of that was when I'm 64. I don't know if you remember that, but it was great. And it was, you know, Paul McCartney at 64, just sort of trying to process what had happened. And my pitch to them was, you are my age and an American Michael Jordan is Paul McCartney. And I want to do a story that looks at Michael's life on the eve of 50. How'd you explain to them that you were the writer to do it? I didn't. I mean, I I sort of thought that they're going to go do their own research. I mean, his people are really, really savvy. And I sort of just figured, let me just, let me just write them. And then they're going to go do what they're going to do. I mean, what's interesting is it almost didn't happen because I don't know if you remember this, but uh, back when the magazine was alive and thriving under Chad Millman, uh, we did these things called One Day, One Game, where like the entire staff would go to a game and we'd do an issue on a game. And one of them was LSU-Alabama. And I had the best relationships at LSU of anyone on the staff. And so I was sort of the point person for a lot of the access. And Jordan's people called and said, can you come to Charlotte on this Wednesday? And I was like, I can't do it. I'm going to be in Baton Rouge. And like, it would have really screwed a lot of people bail out. And so I just, I turned Jordan down and I didn't, I sort of thought that was it. I didn't hear from him again for four or five months. Wow. You told Michael Jordan, I'm sorry, I'm busy that day. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, it wasn't a flex. I, I was busy that day. And like, I'm a big believer. If you say you're going to be somewhere, you need to be somewhere. whenever I read a really good profile of a famous person, the answer to the question of why did they agree to do this is usually, well, they got a movie coming out. They got a book coming out. Michael Jordan's bigger than that. What do you think interested him in agreeing to this? I think they knew that him turning 50 was going to be a cultural moment. And that if he didn't talk about it, it was still going to be talked about but just wasn't going to be rooted in reality is what I think. And I think that whatever sort of itches that ultimately led to the last dance had already started for him. I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot and especially lately, cause I've been working on the Joe Montana profile is Jordan and I were watching sports center together and there was some debate about who was better Montana or Brady. At that point, 
Brady had three Super Bowls and Montana had four. And Jordan was just apoplectic that people would forget how great Joe Montana was because he could just see it all, you know, his own slow death. It's funny. I smiled when I reread that passage because reading it 10 years later, now Tom Brady is the old guy who just retired and we're having a conversation about Patrick Mahomes someday and in some way, you know, taking well, it, some it, of that. It, it, it's, it, it's interesting how it's, it's a circle and, you know, you know, Tom is a great athlete's ultimate resource and greatest enemy at the same time, you know, and, and you see that over and over. And I think, you know, Jordan was entering a phase in his life where his opponent was no longer another basketball player but was this huge force that ultimately he couldn't defeat. And I, I don't know. I think that that had something to do with him saying yes. Let's say he had said no to an interview. Would you have done what you did with Tiger and found a way to write the story anyway? I'd already started. Mm, so that's a yes? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you can't. Got to be a carrot and a stick. <laughs> you go to Charlotte where Jordan owns the Bobcats, who are now the Hornets. Where'd you meet? him first uh in his office and i mean it is it, a real interesting window i mean the pr guy didn't know i was in town <laughs> i always thought it was fascinating like just the, the flow of information uh no i met i met him in his office and i brought him a cuban cigar and uh he smiled and then handed me back two cuban cigars and so like the the, the it was on you know, I was like, okay, that's a real Michael Jordan move to like, we, you know, go into a humidor and we'll hear it too. <laughs> Did you have to go find like a nice Michael Jordan level Cuban cigar? You know, I was on a kick where I was smoking a lot of Cuban cigars that, uh, that all came to an end because uh, I got busted by customs because I was buying my cigars from the uh, stealthily named Cuban cigars.com. <laughs> and I got this letter. And my wife was just on the couch rolling as I read the letter with fear. So uh, that, that all stopped. But Jordan got one of, the, one of the leftovers from that. They were really good. And this leads to a great line where I think you ask, can you smoke in here? And Jordan says something like, well, shit, I own the building. So, hmm. yeah, yes. like Yeah. And by the way, his apartment has these, like, I can only describe it as like Augusta National in reverse. It has these fans on the ceiling that suck all the smoke out. Like, I don't know what that cost, but it works. It's really incredible. <laughs> when you're in his office with him, is it you two alone or is his, are his people around? No, it's just the two of us. Just the two of you. And yeah. That, and you know, that. we talked for, well, I mean, it was the two of us for a couple of hours and then his best friend, George, who is a player in the story, uh, shows up. And for people who don't know, George was a limo driver in Chicago and in 1980 whatever that would have been for when Jordan was a rookie, he shows up to Chicago and the bulls forgot to send somebody to pick him up at the airport. So he's just standing out there with all his stuff. And this limo driver rolls the window down and says, Hey, are you Michael Jordan? And Jordan says, yes. And the guy's like, do you need a ride? Jordan says, yes. And that limo driver was George and George is still there. <laughs> so you're in his office and then you wind up back at his house with the fans on the ceiling at some point watching basketball yeah. for a night. Well, so what happened was basically the way they told me is like, look, Jordan, this will go until he's sick of you. You know, like he'll decide when he's done. 
and you'll be able to tell. And it was going really well with me and Michael. And then it was going really, really well when George came in because I just realized it was better for the two of them to tell stories and talk. So I stopped sort of asking questions and started just throwing out prompts, you know, trying to almost like, like pinball paddles, trying to keep it in a, in an area. But other than that, just let these guys talk. And then at some point, Jordan picked up the phone to call his wife to let her know there was going to be company for dinner. And that's how I found out that we were going to his house. Like there was no asking or anything. So just having George around, it turns the dynamic from me asking Michael questions to, as you say, you throwing out prompts and them telling stories sort of changes yeah, the, from it a one-on-one. Yeah, it just got a lot better. Yeah, it really was, you know, secret is that, you know, George is a much better interviewer of Michael Jordan than I am. <laughs> are you running a tape recorder or are you scribbling notes? At different times, both. I mean, I think in his office I was running – I was running it. No, I was definitely running a tape recorder when he and George were talking because they were talking so fast. How much time did you spend with MJ all told to report this piece? Uh, first day was probably 14 hours. And then uh, I got him off and on over the next two days. And then I went, uh, I went up to DC, talked to all the folks who worked for him. So, but I mean, Jordan all told probably 16, 17 hours. Mm, that's a lot. No, it it is. I mean, it's not. You know, there are people that I've spent more time with, but like for a sustained amount of time with him, it was. I mean, it hasn't happened before since. You know. You've talked at this point to a whole bunch of famous people. Was there any part of you that was nervous to talk to Michael Jordan? I'm sure this makes sense for people who have our jobs, but I, I was I was incredibly nervous about. Okay. I wasn't nervous about talking to Michael Jordan. You know, like I, I, I didn't, you know, you get a certain number of runs at these things and every sports writer on some level is trying to write one of those stories, you know, whether it's Richard Ben Kramer, Ted Williams or whatever the metric is. And, uh, you know, secret to writing a story like that, of course, is the subject. And like, you don't get a lot of swings at, it. you know, you don't in a, in a career doing this, you don't, at least I was hyper aware that this might be the greatest intersection of uh, information about an unknown person who happens to be incredibly famous, which of course is the secret sauce. So you have a swing at it. Do you come in with a formal list of questions? Uh, I did not. I, I read everything that had ever been written about him, literally. And then uh, I had I had sort of talking points, but I had written down five things I had to have to be able to write any kind of story. If I got in his office and we were in there for seven minutes and I could tell he hates me or, you know what I mean? Like if it started going really bad, I had written down the questions that I had to have. Cause you can't go get time with Michael Jordan and come back to your editor and be like, ah, yeah, it's not really his story. Like that's not acceptable. <laughs> you remember what those five things were? One of them was I'd heard that there was something interesting about him packing up his Chicago house. Cause I'd done reporting beforehand, talking to people who knew him sort of interviewing people, just all on background, just trying to be able to ask more detailed questions or at least have it not be completely a fishing expedition. And so I had a couple of sort of scenes that I thought would be really good in the story that if everything was falling apart, I was like, okay, I got to get these five. 
I, I got to get enough detail to put these five stories in his mouth. As a reporter, do you feel a physical sensation somewhere in your body when you're getting great material? There was a moment when I, when I knew, uh, when, when me and Michael and Quinn Buckner were sitting there and, and they were talking about aging, which I think is the lead of the story. Uh, I don't remember. Uh, but that's when I knew like, Oh shit. You know, this is really, I love that. Uh, the John Steinbeck quote from East of Eden about the only lasting story has to be about the, the audience. You know, it has to be universal if, if, it, if it's going to be good. And, uh, when they started talking about aging, I was like, Oh, this is about every living human, not Michael Jordan. And I mean, I, uh, then, yeah, the spidey sense was going pretty crazy. There's some wonderfully telling details in the story. What did you think when you learned that Michael Jordan was competitively playing the video game Bejeweled on his iPad? I mean, I felt a little sad for him. It was just like, you know, like, and very good at it. You know, they were sitting around. They weren't fucking around, Brian. I mean, this was like, they were really playing. And so, uh, you know, part of me is like, well, of course he is. You know, uh, uh, Joe Montana is an incredibly competitive dominoes player. Uh, you don't want to fuck with him at a set of dominoes. Uh, I don't know. I thought it was a perfect detail because I was just like, oh, this is not, you can't turn this on and off. This is not like a decision he makes. This is you know, imprinted on every cell. See, I could imagine that. I just thought with Jordan, it would manifest itself through like poker, you know. <laughs> oh, or, 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 you know, or like, or like becoming a professional bow hunter. Or, you know, he's become a very, very good Marlin fisherman. And is like, like, like enters competitions. He has big, like top of the line fishing boat. Has a great name that he came up with, uh, which is Catch 23. <laughs> that is good. I know, uh, you know, Michael Jordan with the, the, uh, the literary illusions, but you know, so I'm dying to go do another Jordan story just about him fishing because it has <laughs> such echoes of Ted Williams. I was going to say, if you want to do Richard Ben Kramer and Ted Williams, it's, you can't get any closer than Michael Jordan trying to reel in a big one and prove what a great fisherman he Dude, is. Sitting the, on my desk, I, I have the Esquire, uh, book, the bound like, you know, they put every year, they'll put every magazine into a bound book. And uh, I have the 1986 Esquire book that has that, that Williams story in it. I was going to ask you about that. Were you reading that piece while you were writing this one? I was not. Uh, almost. I thought about it, honestly. And then I just was like, I, I can't. I can't go read Joe DiMaggio. can't go read Frank Sinatra. I can't go read Ed Williams. Uh, just because like, um, there can't be any tropes, you know, and I can't, I consciously didn't. I mean, that's interesting. I've never really thought about that a lot before. Uh, but I, you know, it was interesting how, I mean, to me at that moment, that Ted Williams story was the greatest thing ever written. It is interesting how 10 years later as like, I want to do different kinds of stories. I find different kinds of things to be interesting. Like, I think now the the sort of the ideal of a magazine, the greatest magazine story ever written is Falling Man by Tom Juneau. Uh, so it's interesting how that 
perspective changes with time. Like what is the what is the goat? So you don't want to pick up Kramer and Gay Talese because you find you'll be immersed in their voice and their world. Well, that, than that, and, that and and you know the, those stories because they've been copied and often copied poorly, like can lean to trope. You know, and I just felt like I got great stuff, and let's just you know, let's let's focus on the six inches in front of my face, you know, and not swing so hard you miss. When a lot of people think of Michael Jordan, the person they think of the last dance now, how is the MJ of that documentary different than the one you talked to in Charlotte? You know, so when I talked to him in Charlotte, he was dating the woman who is now his wife. And I think that was a, that has been a tremendous force for good in his life. Uh, you know, I went back to talk to him several years later for the Tiger Woods story. And he was much more at peace even then than when I'd seen him the first time. I mean, it seemed to me like the work he needed, the work that the person in my story needed to do got done. And like, I find that really interesting, which is another reason I'd like to go back and write the Marlin fishing. I'm curious what of that lunatic remains free to prowl and what has been put down. You know, I think he's, you know, I'm just curious, like what the never would have permitted him. I think crying Jordan really helped him. I think it gave him permission to not have to George Patton all the time. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid. Featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. Your piece ends with Jordan going to bed at night watching cowboy movies like he used to do yeah. with his dad, James. How did you find out what Michael Jordan was doing when he went to bed? So uh, it was like, I don't know what time, 1 o'clock, one thirty in the morning. And uh, Glenn Buckner and I were both staying at the same hotel. It got to be time to leave. And so uh, we were all saying goodbyes. And Jordan pulled out his iPad that controls all the AV. And as we were saying goodbye, 
was turning on the television in the bedroom. And, you know, he said he did that. So I was watching and I said, hey, what channel? And he was like, I don't know, 3921. I'm like, what is that? He goes, what's AMC Westerns or whatever it was. And so I said, all right, Michael, you have homework. Kind of looked at me like, what the fuck? And uh, I said, in the morning, the first time I see you, I want to know what movie you watched. And then uh, I went home that night and found the Comcast Charlotte schedule. Saw that the movie that was on was Unforgiven. And then the next morning I saw him in an elevator. And I was like, what was the movie? And he said, I was Unforgiven. And then I said, did you make it to the scene where, where Clint Eastwood shoots everybody? Because, you know, you shouldn't have decorated my bar with your bar with my friend. Jordan's like, no, I fell asleep before that. So that's the ending. <laughs> Let me ask you about writing this story. You wrote the piece. You interviewed him like five weeks before his 50th birthday. So you had about a month to write this. Uh, yeah, yeah. Roughly. Yeah. I mean, it happened really fast. It's that was fast for you. You thought, no, I mean, I did it in like four days. Was writing it easy or Uh, hard? Easy. Honestly. I mean, the hardest part was, I think there were a couple of sections that, you know, were full of things you didn't know about this famous person that I cut because it felt like, Hey, those are great details for an omnibus story, but we're not in the business of omnibus stories. And so like those were hard cuts, but necessary cuts. So that, that was harder. You remember one of them? You know what? Time to think. I mean, they're, they're, I'm sure they're in my email. I'm sure there's a draft of this thing. Uh, one of them was there's a lot of watching basketball you know I mean we watched two or three games and so you know there was was a lot of that and then there was stuff about there was a a lot of really interesting backstory that it just didn't feel like the story for that so I did another Jordan story when The Last Dance came out it was all about his family history and some of that stuff ended up in that second Jordan story because it was still things that nobody knew. And uh, it got used eventually. When you're watching basketball, this is when Jordan starts telling you how he'd guard LeBron James, who was about to win his fourth MVP that season. And that's what winds up in the story. Yes, that was, you know, and he was called and he goes, all right, he's going to, like, he was calling out what he was going to do before he was going to do it. And he got it right a couple of times in a row. And then I started paying really close attention. Back up for me for a second. When you're writing features for the Casey Star and then for ESPN, what kind of feature writer did you want to become? That's interesting. Uh, when at the Casey Star, I don't know, I wanted to be, I don't know, I mean, I guess Gary Smith, uh, what everybody wants to be, you know, uh, Rick Tellender. Like, I want to be one of those SI guys, you know, William Knack. I mean, that's what I really wanted to be more than anything. All I wanted in the entire world was to work for Sports Illustrated. And so, I mean, that, I wanted to do that. Uh, and then at ESPN, I got just talk about like luck and randomness. Uh, you know, the editor of the Jordan piece was Jay Lovinger, who was the editor who really changed everything for me, just in terms of like, you know, not trying to be somebody else and, first person to like really open my eyes to the possibility of like what one of these stories could be, you know? Uh, 
like that, that, that was that was huge. You know, like I don't. My life is very different today if I don't uh, have the great luck of being signed to Jay Lovinger. You know, it's just it's funny how there's certain people coming to your life, and nothing is the same. One thing about Michael Jordan and about Ted Williams too is they wanted to be the best at what they did, not merely great, but the best. That's like the first line of Richard Ben Kramer's story. When you thought about yep. your career, did you articulate that to yourself? I want to be the best at this. Well, I mean, there's the truth, and then there's the lie I'm going to tell you. Uh, no, what kind of psycho narcissist would ever articulate something like that to themselves? <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, yes, of course. Uh, otherwise, what? Like, I honestly, like, jokes aside, maybe this just says more about my father than me, but, uh, and if you're not in it for that reason, I don't even understand what the fuck you're doing. Like, you know, you almost certainly won't get there, but if that, you know, my mom used to stay study for a hundred and then you'll make a 95. Like, I just, I don't, I honestly don't know why you would do it if you weren't on some level, uh, weren't on some level trying to be the greatest who ever did it. Makes perfect sense to you, but there are lots of people who don't think that way. You know, they don't articulate it's interesting that. to me. I mean, it's interesting. You know, I'm on a uh, my text thread with my best friends in the world. I mean, it's me and Seth Wickersham and Kevin Von Valkenberg uh, and Eric Neal, who's all of our editor, and Tom Gino. And I'm like, God damn it. Not only am I not the greatest of all time, I'm not even the fucking greatest on my text thread. <laughs> you know, like... So, I mean, it, it's interesting how the idea of wanting to be that is such a young man's thing. Because, like, I mean, that was such a powerful impulse for me and isn't anymore. Uh, sort of, you know, the, the body of work is going to be what it's going to be. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm much more interested in the fact that, like, every day, you know, I'm going to get off this call with you and have a long call with Eric Neal, my editor because I'm working on a Joe Montana story and I want this story to be the best thing I've ever done. So that's how, that's how it sort of changed. It's like much more. I just want to get better and, uh, learn something new and try new things. And, uh, that that's much more of a motivator. It's funny. You look at your younger self, and just, what an asshole. So <laughs> even think something like that. Jordan stories published in February, 2013. The issue of ESPN, the magazine is actually dated March 4th. Your old boss, Chad Millman, whom you mentioned, told me a story about this, that your piece came in late in the production cycle. And he and the other editors almost decided to just run a portion of it in the print magazine and then tell people to be the rest, to read the rest online. That really would have sucked. Wouldn't it? Well, what's interesting is, I mean, that is mostly true. Added detail is that uh, Jay Lovinger and I were doing it as an e-ticket, and there was a lot of competition between the magazine and e-ticket, and uh, not all of it productive and healthy. And so when we said we were doing a Michael Jordan story, they knew that for months, but just were sort of like, well, nobody's going to get anything new about Michael Jordan. So they declined to run it, and then it came in, and Rob King ran it, 
forced Chad Millman to tear up his magazine and run it. <laughs> so the reason they had to do that was because they they literally said they didn't want it before they'd read it. And then they read it and were like, and were told by Rob, who is, you know, I love Rob. And Rob has always been a real champion of mine. And, you know, uh, when, when I bought my house that I live in now, the day I signed the papers, I took a picture of it and texted it to Rob. I was just like, you did this. You know, Rob has always been a supporter and a champion, and I just love the guy to death. But no, he made Chad do that. And Chad, if you're listening, know that's fucking true. <laughs> you send the piece to Jordan's people after it runs. What was his response? His response was, how did he find all of that out? To which they told him, Michael, you told him. And then that was that. They asked to see it early, and I wouldn't send it to him, obviously. Uh, <laughs> you you and, said you'll read it You'll read it when it comes out like everybody else. Yeah, when like, you know, with that great Horace quote, you know, the same night awaits us all. I was at the Residence Inn in Bristol, Connecticut, because I had to go on TV all day to talk about it the next day. And I just remember, like, you know, the fact-checking was really rigorous, the clothes was stressful and I just remember going you know it, the thing is at the printer you know what I mean and like I'm just sitting in this hotel room and I'm like god I hope I didn't screw anything up uh, ESPN fact checkers are fabulous Rachel Ulrich who is now one of the big dog editors ESPN she was a fact checker she caught the greatest mistake ever made which I made which is I misspelled the name Jonathan throughout a profile of Johnny Manziel <laughs> That's a big one. So she, yeah, that's a pretty big one. So she caught that. So like, I slept well knowing that like the ESPN fact checkers are on it, you know. But it, I just I remember being nervous. What was your relationship like with Jordan after this came out? Well, I didn't have a relationship with him before it, before it, and I don't really have one now. You know, I don't. I sort of think if one of these stories is so invasive, I sort of feel like the unspoken promise is. Once this gets done to you, you get to be done with me, you know? Like, I'm not just sticking around trying to be his buddy. I went back to him one time to talk about Tiger, and then uh, I have pitched. I've asked to go marlin fishing with him, and was, and they said, no, he doesn't, he doesn't want to do that. Uh, but, I mean, no, I, it's interesting. Although this is really cute. When my first daughter was born years later, a package shows up and it is a tiny pair of pink Jordan ones <laughs> sent, from, sent from Michael Jordan. I was going to ask you about the tiger thing because there's the scene in that story, which comes out three years later, of Jordan talking about tiger was a jaw-dropping moment for me when I read that piece. Jordan told you, the thing is, I love him so much, I can't tell him you're not going to be great again. Michael was interested immediately in talking about his relationship with Tiger Woods. Yes. And we had talked before sort of off the record about Tiger. And, uh, you know, obviously I'll leave the substance of that conversation private, but I knew what he thought. And so I had to go, I had to go back and get it again. You know, this piece did not make the best American sports writing of 2014. That's if that I remember, motherfucker. I mean, <laughs> Yes, like that guy that did the running book. Uh, I'm still pissed at him. It is the only year that I have not been in that book since I started working for ESPN is that year. 
<laughs> Did you write to Glenn uh, Stout or Christopher McDougal and say, what the fuck? No, but Glenn Stout called me before it was announced. He was just like, hey, I, your story's such a slam dunk. And he didn't pick it. And we went back to him and asked him if he was sure. And he said, yes. And so I just wanted to let you know before it got announced. And then uh, I got asked to be the guest editor, I think, of the next one or maybe the one. I don't know. I think it might have been the next year I was the guest editor, maybe two years later. And I feel like that was the that was their mea culpa. Like, hey, sorry, our guy fucked this up. This story change your career in any way? I don't know. I mean, I mean, certainly uh, it has allowed me to get other people, you know, uh, and I'd written a lot of stories before, but, you know, and profiles of really famous people, but, you know, he was just on a different level. I mean, one of the things that, one of the things that didn't do that I'm glad is that it didn't turn me into a, uh, a big game hunter. You know, like I still do. I, mean, my, I wanted to do Michael Jordan because I had a real question about his life, not because like, let me just go small that I could get Michael Jordan. You know, and I felt that way about Joe Montana. Like, it was a real thing I wanted to know. And so it feels like even when the profiles that I'm doing are about really famous people, Tiger Woods or whomever, it feels like they are flowing from the same sort of journey of curiosity that all of the monarchy stories flow from. It doesn't feel like it's two different versions of, of a process. You know, it, it, it all feels... Uh, like every single story that is the result of me being curious about something. And so like, I don't know. I'm glad that I didn't just become a big game hunter. Last one for you, right? You're 46 years old. Is it weird yeah. to be almost as old as Michael Jordan was when you wrote this piece? So unbelievably weird. Because, uh, you know, it, it does make you think about how infuriating it must be as an athlete because, you know, I just talked about this with Steve Young, who basically was like, the NFL is so much less sophisticated defensively than it was. He watches games and is like, I could do that. You know, like, I, I'm, I could get the ball where it needs to be. And, but he just is too old. And, you know, if you're a writer, you know, uh, if I stop eating so much fried chicken, you know, I could write for 40 more years. Whereas athlete, it's, one day it's just over. I mean, it's just over for Tom Brady today. And he is falling off a cliff. Uh, one of the most interesting things about this Montana profile that's coming out next week is that what it really is, and I, I wanted it to be this on a certain backbeat level, it is a profile of the next unlived 30 years of Tom Brady's life. And, like, that's really interesting. Because Joe Montana knows things about Tom Brady's future that Brady can't begin to know yet. And uh, I don't know, I, I feel like... Every at the core of every one of these stories is something I'm legitimately interested in. It, it's not just, hey, go do this, you know. Right, Thompson. Thanks for coming on the press box. Oh man, it was my pleasure. Uh, God damn, forty six. Huh? That's a real number. <laughs> That's the press box. I'm Brian Curtis. Production magic, as always, by Erica Cervantes. Couple of things to put on your press box calendar. On Monday, I'm going to be doing the show from Radio Row in Phoenix. Amidst all the pre-Super Bowl festivities, aka the selling of avocados and body sprays, we may be the only show in Phoenix who is talking about Donald Trump suing Bob Woodward. 
Later in the week, I will have another pod with some voices from Radio Row. Some you know, some you might not know. And then Sunday night, David Shoemaker and I are going to be going live right after the Super Bowl on Spotify Live and later in podcast form talking about the announcers, the commercials, the medianess of the big game. Please join us. Please dial in. Please talk to us over the air. We'd love to have you. You know there will be more lukewarm takes about the media. See you then. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln in the all-new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48-inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit Lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.